right, Tyler, I have a new topic for our mini-sode today. All right. I love these mini-sodes, by the way. They're pretty fun. I think they're fun, too. And they're a little bit shorter, which hopefully our audience thinks is fun, too. (laughs) All right. So, Devin, what have you been obsessed about this week? Okay. So, I got a call um, recently by a urologist who wanted to talk about vasectomies for 18-year-olds. Okay. Vasectomies for 18-year-olds. Okay. Yes. So he um, was saying, listen, lately I've been getting a lot more requests from 18-year-old men who want vasectomies. He said, you know, I'm willing to provide them. Other urologists in my, um, where I work are not. Um, I'm okay doing it, but I just want to make sure there aren't any big ethical problems that I'm overlooking. Okay. So urologist gets approached by a patient who's 18 and asked to provide a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that he would uh, think about, like, be reflective enough to want an ethical uh, consult, ethics consult on this. But Well, apparently he has an interest. He has an interest in ethics and then was okay. wanting to talk about it with an ethicist. And so they directed him to me. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So this is not apparently, and so I did some like Google searching. This is becoming more and more common is especially in states like Texas, where abortion is not now basically outlawed. Um, Uh More and more very young men are coming and asking for vasectomies. Wow. And so let me just try to try to understand the motivation here that then it would free them up to be more sexually active without the consequences of pregnancy. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and potential fatherhood because right now, now abortion's off the table. Huh. Um, I feel like there are other contraceptive measures short of vasectomy that one might try. Right. Yeah. So that's what struck me at first, too, is there are lots of really effective contraceptives that don't, you know, that prevent pregnancy. Um, why why wouldn't they go there first? So this was one of my suggestions that, you know, you, you would expect this to occur anyway. But let's make sure that during the informed consent process that these young men know their various options. They probably do at 18, but gosh, you never know. Yeah. I don't think that I would have known what a vasectomy was at 18. Well, well I guarantee that. <laughs> no, no. Um, okay, so how, did, so how did you approach this question? Yeah, so the first thing I did was I went to um, the Texas state law because I was curious if there are any regulations already on the books. You just never know. You wouldn't think so, yeah. but you never know. And what I found out pretty quickly is that there aren't except if the patient is a Medicaid patient. And so this is one way, and this isn't a legal route, but this is one way in which there are special provisions for patients with Medicaid. And this is, I assume, tied to a long history of forcible sterilization. So because Mm -hmm. our government was pro-eugenics and pro-forcible sterilization for, you know, a few decades, we sterilized a lot of people against their wills. I think that this is a reaction to that, to say we want to be really extra careful that we're not... Um, forcibly sterilizing, especially poor people. And so for both women and men, 
if they are Medicaid patients, there is um, a separate regulation that you have to follow in order to get reimbursed for these patients. So mm -hmm. the regulation for vasectomy for men is they have to be at least 21. Um, so a little bit older than most other kinds of treatment, um, uh -huh. older than 18, which is you know where we typically put the age of majority. And they have to request it six months prior to receiving it. So there's this lag time uh -huh. of six months, which is a pretty long time, right? Um, yeah. And so for young men, um, that's a burden. For young, for women, this is much more of a burden because for a tubal ligation, a woman would have to request it um, six months prior. She often might request it while she's pregnant. Um, and so while she's giving birth, it might be easier to do the tubal. Um, like if she were to have a C-section, it, would it wouldn't require an extra surgery. And so um, if she were to go into premature labor or uh, she just couldn't receive it at the same time as, as the birthing process, that imposes sort of an extra surgery on her that wouldn't ne be necessary otherwise. So it's more of a burden on women, um, this Medicaid provision, but it's still a burden on men too. So if he were a Medicaid patient, we couldn't do it until he was 21 and we would have to wait those six months. Um, I, I never asked if this particular patient was Medicaid or not. The urologist was aware of that provision, but I hadn't been. So it was an interesting learning experience for me. Was this something you were aware of? No, um, not specifically in the way that you're describing it. I was aware that of certain protections in state law. So in Michigan, where I'm at, where if somebody is under a guardianship or conservatorship, that they can make basically any and all medical decisions, except if they mm -hmm. want to do a permanent sterilization, whether it's a ligation or a vasectomy. And that actually in the state law is required to go back before the judge and the judge actually has to okay that in the in that type of surrogate situation. Like that, that's interesting to me that it's tied to uh, the payment mechanism. Yeah, I knew that about, um, so it's interesting about sterilization for people who have guardians or can't make their own medical decisions. You actually have to get a court order. And this I think is also tied to our history of forced sterilization. So you can just imagine, right. you know, very vulnerable people being sterilized um, against their will is qu not quite the right phrase because if they can't mm -hmm. give consent, um, you know, it gets a little complicated there, but I knew it about sterilization of folks who don't make their own medical decisions. I didn't realize it about Medicaid patients. Um, so it was, but I imagine they're tied to the same legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know a whole lot about the forced sterilization history, but I do know enough to be absolutely horrified by it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just in, in broad strokes, summary of this the individuals who were generally and correct me if, if you know differently but the patients who or individuals who were generally intellectually disabled or had intellectual disabilities were um, put into group homes or to some sort of uh, institutionalized care setting and then uh, underwent sterilization procedures often without their involved you know consent or assent or something anything uh, from the patient but also often without the family even knowing about what was going on is that your that, understanding 
That's right. And it wasn't even necessarily people with intellectual disabilities. The famous case, and we might do a podcast about this next season with Buck v. Bell. Carrie Buck, there's actually pretty good evidence she wasn't intellectually disabled, but she was quite poor and she had been raped. And the family that had adopted her, their son was her rapist. And when she got pregnant, this was a good way to sort of get rid of her, is to institutionalize her by saying that she was intellectually disabled. Um, and then this is the case that rose to the Supreme Court that um, allowed mm -hmm. states to forcibly sterilize people against their wills. And hers is a particularly sad case, um, in, not necessarily because she wasn't intellectually disabled. I think it's wrong to do that as well. Um, but yeah. because of the rape, because of um, the situation she was in, um, it, it, was a, it was a really tragic case. But yeah, so that kind of inaugurated in the early 20th century a lot of state laws that allowed for this to happen that weren't repealed until the 1970s. So something like 60,000 people were sterilized against their will in our country. So just recently, uh, a friend of mine was telling me that he met somebody, I don't remember if it was a social setting or whatever, but he, he mentioned that she had been raised by an aunt or a grandma because her her mother w suffered from severe postpartum depression and was institutionalized mm -hmm. and then actually sterilized so she wouldn't have to do it again. It, it, it's unclear whether or not that was consented to or not, but then was institutionalized for the rest of you know, this, this woman's upbringing and was raised by somebody else, so. Yeah, that's tragic. Yeah. And it was often um, husbands who were able to institutionalize their wives against their will, right? So as long as your husband verified that you were crazy, you know, however they <laughs> wanted to put that. <laughs> so it's a pretty misogynistic history as well. Um, we did force, also forcibly sterilize men, it, um, poor, especially poor men, especially not white men. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a pretty tragic legacy of, of sterilization. So you can understand why some of these provisions have been put in place. At the same time, per, some have argued that the pendulum has swung too far and now we're over protecting people. So now there are additional burdens, especially on poor people um, or people with disabilities to get the kinds of treatments they want um, because we want to protect them so much. We might overprotect them. This is maybe an argument we don't, a debate we don't need to have right here, but it is a yeah. kind of counter argument to this. Um, but I'm curious uh, what you think. I mean, do you think we should be giving vasectomies to 18 year olds? Oh, I think one of the concerns, obviously, the first concern is do they properly, at 18, does a young man properly understand all of the long-term burdens and risks of this procedure? Mm -hmm. um, but but at the same time, we allow 18-year-olds to go to war. We allow 18-year-olds mm -hmm. to, to make all types of very important decisions in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so it, what, what's, what's curious about the the situation that you're describing is to me is that there is some sort of magic in waiting three more years like why mm -hmm. is 21 there's sudden like, is there some sort of data that they make better decisions at 21 than they do at 18 or is it just that we're trying to protect people in some way and that's the best way we can figure it out or i don't know i'd really like to kind of understand what the motivation is between you know in that type of 
change in the in the requirement or change in the the regulation. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if it was based on neuroscience, although that'd be interesting. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> well, because, I mean, the, the best neuroscience we have right now, I think, is that your brain really doesn't kind of stop firing its limbic system too quickly until you're about 25, 26. And so the mm. best decision making happens after that period. Um, so maybe we should make them wait until then. But But like you said, I mean, the age of majority is 18. We make we let 18 year olds make life altering decisions on many fronts. Um, so why would we stop it at this? See, this is where like my mama bear instinct is like, if this were my son, there's no way I would want him to get a vasectomy at 18, mm -hmm. unless there was some other like very compelling reason why he should never have children. Um, mm -hmm. and, and there very well might be, but um, I wouldn't want that for any 18 year old. I teach 18 year olds. I, I, you know, you are around young people too. I don't know that they necessarily always can make the best decisions for themselves, that they have the wherewithal to really understand what the future might hold. At the same time, that sort of like that ethical judgment, I don't think overrides this other judgment I have is that we have to let people make these decisions. Like there's not a compelling enough reason to stop them. Mm -hmm. that wouldn't apply to other things we allow them to do. So you got this call from the urologist and you did some background reading. So mm -hmm. I'm curious about your approach. How did you go back and circle back to the urologist? Yeah, so I, I called him back. Well, first, actually, I called legal um, just because okay. I was curious if they had any extra information because it was a new topic for me I hadn't thought about before. I wanted to make sure there wasn't anything else I was overlooking. And mm -hmm. they said no. Um, they said I was right about the Medicaid provision, but otherwise there is no specific like, sort of law about this or we didn't have a hospital policy. I also made sure of that. Um, I did look at some other hospital policies on this um, and which basically said, as long as the patient is giving informed consent that this is okay. And it, sometimes they would specify what, what you would need to talk about and things like other ways of um, preventing pregnancy um, mm -hmm. and possible reversibility of vasectomy. Um, so you'd want to be clear about that. But otherwise, it, they all basically concurred that this was something an 18-year-old could consent to um, as long as they were mm -hmm. giving proper informed consent. Yeah. So with that, I told the, the physician that there was no restriction on this that it was but of course that he or anyone else in his practice could refuse based on kind of a conscientious objection or you know if they didn't want to do it they didn't have to it's an elective procedure um but if he felt comfortable doing it and he felt comfortable with the informed consent process then he could go ahead and do it wow yeah interesting so is the reversibility the potential reversibility of the vasectomy uh, an important part of this as you're thinking through it? You know, it's a good question because we went back and forth on this because there's like wildly different reports about how reversible it is. Right. Um, like just like incredibly diverse opinions about this. And so, and even looking in the literature, it was like, it's either like, it, or even what reversibility means is, can be defined differently. So I think you should go into it assuming that it is a permanent sterilization. I don't think you should get a vasectomy assuming that it's easily reversed. 
even if it might be reversed, even if in the majority of cases it can be reversed. Um, you should treat it as if it were a permanent sterilization. So in some ways it doesn't matter because I think if you go into it with that mindset, then that should that's what should be communicated. There are other ways to prevent pregnancy. There are other contraceptive methods. This is a permanent sterilization. Are you really sure this is what you want? Right. And mm. if they if it is, then then you do it. So what are some other ethical objections do you think to so you, you, you mentioned conscientious objection, which I'm not sure that we've talked very much on the podcast about like what the details of that in the clinical setting might be. But what are some reasons why why a physician might not be comfortable doing this? Outside you of know, the, of course, as long as there's legal, uh, it's not legally prohibited. You know, I, I think it's for all the reasons that we might, sort of our gut might say, is that this is a really big life-altering decision made mm -hmm. on behalf of somebody who's maybe not prepared to conceive of their future that way. Conceive, mm -hmm. that was a good pun. I made accidentally. <laughs> <Good one. laughs> um, I, I think it's just, you know, you don't really understand what you're doing and there are really good alternatives that are not so permanent. And so mm -hmm. I want you to wait, you know, there's a huge difference between a 40 year old, you know, in some people's minds, a 40 year old man choosing vasectomy after he's had children is choosing not to have more than an 18 year old who doesn't have children who might think he doesn't want children at 18, but might change his mind in the future. And so I think mm -hmm. that that's what I'm hearing from people is that that would be the main objection is that you're just too young to be able to make such a permanent decision. Yeah. So we allow 18 year olds to uh, incur tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of student <laughs> loan debt, <laughs> which might be equally as uh, life altering as having a child, but maybe not allow them to have a vasectomy. Well, I think it's about sort of, I mean, this might apply to student loan debt as well, but having an open future. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it's something about, and this we, that that phrase gets tossed around in pediatric care quite a bit, is that you want to like preserve options for, and an 18-year-old is not a child, although, gosh, an 18-year-old is awfully close to a child. Yeah. Um, they just met the threshold of not being a child, but that you want to preserve open futures for young people so that they can make different decisions, more decisions, they have more options available to them in the future. And so you want to preserve that kind of openness and you're foreclosing it with a procedure like this. And whereas we might let people make, I mean, life altering decisions in other ways about chemotherapy or about treatments, this isn't a treatment. This is an elective procedure, which for some people right. makes a difference too. Yeah. Yeah. It would be different. And we've, we've, we see cases sometimes where uh, an 18-year-old or maybe even like a 17-year-old wants treatment that their parents may not. So I'm thinking about like cancer treatment, for example, and an mm -hmm. older, mature 17-year-old may elect to either want or refuse certain treatments that their parents disagree with. And um, yeah, that, that principle of uh, preserving or protecting a free and open future is, it's unique to those types of ethical questions, right? Especially in pediatric mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'll be curious what the listeners think. Do you think we should be giving vasectomies to 18 year olds? Also, one of my students told me this is a big trend on TikTok, which like made me even more nervous about it. <laughs> so oh. uh, girlfriends pressuring their boyfriends to get vasectomies and then recording their responses on TikTok. So that's apparently oh, a thing wow. now. 
Yep. So well, uh, that's what I'm going to be spending the rest of my afternoon looking at. Yep. So look it up. Send us some reactions. <laughs> Let us know what you think. Great.